Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash picture lock. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous, award-winning Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. The 2018 DC Black Film Festival call for entries is now open. We are currently in our late registration period, but we would still love to see you. In fact, if you check the show notes for the podcast, I will have a discount code that can get you 25% off your submission. Visit dcbff.org for more details. The 20th Maryland Film Festival is going on right now in Baltimore. I spoke with founding director of the festival, Jed Dietz, about what you can expect to see at the fest this year. I also speak with Lena Jaswell, the head of the photography concentration at American University School of Communication. We talk about her documentary mix. But first, Diablo Cody's Tully comes out this weekend. And I got a moment to speak with her about creating the film. That's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, everybody. This is Shalise Haas, director-producer of Real Boy, and you are listening to Picture Lock with Kevin Sampson. Talking with the screenwriter of Tully, Diablo Cody. Uh, Diablo, what inspired you to write Tully? I was actually inspired to write Tully by a pretty predictable life event, which is that I had my third child. And um, while the movie is not autobiographical in any way, I was able to kind of access the emotions that Marlo was feeling because I had just had a baby. Um, I don't think I'd ever, ever written anything in that super vulnerable postpartum state before, and I'm glad that I did because I think something interesting came out of it. Um, I was definitely in touch with something that I'm not ordinarily in touch with, and I was able to put those kind of raw feelings of fear <laughs> and exhaustion into the script. Could you talk about your lead, Marlo, and constructing her on the page and how the connection to Tully, her night nurse, fits in? For Marlo, I liked the idea that she had gotten settled into a comfortable life. You know, she, you know, obviously her life wasn't easy. She's a working mom. You know, she's dealing with a kid who has special needs. But she kind of had things under control. And then she got pregnant with Mia. And that was the curveball. And that was what kind of pushed her into the abyss. Marlo and Tully have a really interesting rapport. And at first, I think Marlo is very uncomfortable with Tully. She doesn't quite understand who she's dealing with. And she's just kind of alarmed by the fact that Tully is this kid. Um, and at the same time, Tully is somehow able to speak to Marlo in this really specific and bizarre way. And they form a connection really quickly. And there's also the, the feeling when somebody comes into your life and saves you in some way, or is you know supporting you in some dramatic way, like it's very easy to become bonded to that person immediately. You know, I'm sure my wife would probably say, why didn't we get one of these? But what are night nurses? I'm kind of fascinated with the concept of night nurses because I had never heard of such a thing um, growing up in Illinois. And then I moved out to LA to work in the film business and suddenly I, I found out that a lot of new moms here 
hire someone to come and sleep in their house for the first few months so that um, they don't have to deal with the sleep deprivation of having a newborn. And I, I thought it was a completely strange idea and at the same time kind of brilliant. <laughs> and so, you know, I was sort of, I, I myself, I sort of stubbornly resisted having the night nurse for my eldest child, resisted with my second child, and when I had my third baby, I did hire a night nurse, and it was kind of shocking how much I fell in love with her just because she was like my savior. Like I was hanging on to my sanity because of her, and that inspired the script. Could you talk about your working relationship with Jason Reitman and Charlize Theron? This is the third movie that we've made together, or should I say that he's made from a script that I wrote. And um, it's the most important creative partnership in my life. Um, I, I love working with Jason. I know we will work together again. And, um, you know, it's, we have a shorthand between us, which is extremely helpful. I know he always understands what I'm trying to convey. And he's also so respectful of the decisions that I make in the script. This is my second time working with Charlize, and I cannot believe my luck because obviously she's an icon. I mean, she's so brilliant and she's so committed to these characters and also just an all-around cool person. But like, specifically, I feel like this is the best work she's ever done in this movie. I, she, you know, you're talking about this person who truly looks like a supermodel for being superficial. And in this movie, she becomes realistically this downtrodden, broken mother of three in suburban New York. I believe it 100%. Um, and that's magic. That's a magic trick. Miss Cody, thanks for your time. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Laz Alonzo, star of the new film Traffic in theaters. And you got it locked right here on Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock, and the 20th Maryland Film Festival is May 2nd through 6, 2018, in Baltimore's Station North Arts and Entertainment District, with over 40 feature films and 10 short programs spanning all genres and drawing works from all over the world, acclaimed festival favorites, and new discoveries. Whether you're a film buff or casual moviegoer, the Maryland Film Festival will leave you inspired by the world of cinema. I have friend of the show and the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival on the line with me, Jed Dietz. Jed, welcome back to Picture Lock. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. It's great to have you, man. Uh, I look forward to talking about some of the things that uh, the Maryland Film Festival has to offer this year. But my first question that I wanted to ask you, and of course, folks, you know, if you check the archives, Jed has already answered how he fell in love with film in episode two of Picture Lock Radio. So we're just going to jump straight into it. Uh, but Jed, every festival has its own kind of brand and vibe. And so, you know, a lot of times, like, people ask me, why, is there, why are there so many different kinds of festivals? And one of the things that I always say is that, <laughs> you know, there's different niche festivals, there's different brands and vibes in, of what you can kind of expect when you're going. So how would you describe the Maryland Film Festival? So we're, our whole mission is to bring films and the people who make them together with audiences. And, and, and the part of the film world that we really concentrate on is sort of the new emerging filmmakers. 
um, there's a tremendous energy in this uh, in movie making right now. And while the you know studios do a great job, I mean, obviously Avengers just had an amazing weekend, and Black Panthers had a great run, and you know it's it's a huge audience that goes to studio movies. They're sort of gearing back to fewer films that can that can be big, and we're really concentrating on that next wave of filmmakers who are coming through. Um, and, you know, in our festival, Barry Jenkins, you know, who's great film Moonlight won the Academy Award last year. I mean, he was here 10 years ago with his first film, Medicine for Melancholy or Greta Gerwig who has been here many years. Uh, she had done her first co-directing and co-writing with the film we had at the festival a while back and was an actress is still as an actress, but was an actress in, several films uh, that we've had over the years. Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bowl were here before they won the Oscar. Um, each of them won, she being the first woman director to ever win an Oscar, and Mark winning for his for his screenwriting. Um, and Lena Dunham, and on and on. I mean, that's sort of what the festival, this festival is all about, is a chance outside the business part of, of movie making, which can be very exciting, um, and outside of the of the hurly burly of you know Sundance and Cannes, which are very great festivals, but are really market festivals. This is really about connecting audiences of all types to filmmakers of all types. And as you pointed out, this year we've got over 130 films of all types: short films, feature length films, documentaries, fictional films, um, special effects films small personal stories, et cetera. Um, and it's a real place to not just see those new films that are all coming into the marketplace, just starting, some of them without even distribution right now, but a chance to mingle with the people who make the films. And that's a, that, that's been our mission from the beginning. And, you know, last year we brought on stream uh, a, a rescued great old movie theater right in, in the center of, of Baltimore, which is now our base. And so now we're doing it year round, but the festival is a great place to, to begin the journey. Yeah, most definitely folks. Um, I, you know, I highly recommend checking out the Maryland film festival. And like you said, Jed, uh, that's what I really love about it is that, you know, it's an, a time when filmmaker and movie fan are like equals. Like you can actually talk to people, yeah. talk about the process and movie magic. One of the things that I love doing um, with film festivals is looking at the website. And a lot of times <laughs> it's the still image for, um, you know, the, the film that you're looking at that can be so provocative. And this year, like these images, I just want to know like more about uh, some of these films, which I might ask if you don't hit them right here, but what are some of the highlights this year that you would definitely recommend people check out? Well, first I have to issue a warning because of course nobody on our staff sees all the films before the festival. <laughs> right. A chance, you know, it just isn't a chance to do that. Um, but there are so many things. I'll mention just a few that um, are very different from each other, but exciting. Our opening night program um, tomorrow night is on, on Wednesday, May 2nd, is um, 
a, a night of shorts. And I think we're the only general festival anywhere in the world that devotes our opening night to short films. And we have um, a collection. Come, that It's about a 60-minute program. So these are all short films that add up to a 60-minute program. It's always hosted by somebody from the film world um, that is fun to meet. Uh, the filmmakers themselves will all be there. So the Q and a with them afterwards about why they made the film. And they're all, these are all very different, you know, documentaries or experimental, some quite formal and beautiful, some more informal. Um, and the host tomorrow night is a really great cinematographer, a guy named Bradford young, who was the first African-American actually to be nominated as a cinematographer uh, for his film arrival. He shot that, uh, that Amy Adams starred in, Forrest Whitaker was in it, and had a great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shot he shot that. He shot Thelma. He shot a film we had at the festival a few years back called Mother of George, which is a wonderful film from a Nigerian-born filmmaker named Andrew Desunmu. Who, um, and and Bradford also shot uh, this little film that's about to open at the end of May called Solo, a Star Wars movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's just a small, small time so, cinematographer. So, so that would, that I would certainly list that as a highlight. Uh, another one, um, and there's again, I'll just bounce around a little bit because um, there's so much in the festival. Uh, John Waters always picks a film that he loves. Um, they're typically films nobody's ever heard of, um, and but he is a great film fan, a filmmaker himself, of course, but a great film fan. And he's picked a film called I, Olga Hepnerova. Um, and that he is, uh, he, he picked as one of his favorite films of last year. And, uh, he, he's always, if any, if you've ever attended one of these things, you, John is a, is a, you know, really smart, entertaining host, but he also, because he knows so much about filmmaking, you always learn something. However much you know, you always learn something about the film world, and this will be no exception. Um, there's a, a, a documentary uh, about policing and community organizers, long-term community organizers, specifically one on the, at the Rose Street Community Center in Baltimore called Charm City. It premiered at, at Tribeca, um, and I think it will play in many, many cities, but was filmed here uh, by a wonderful filmmaker named Marilyn Ness. Um, there's a, a fictional uh, movie that started at the San Sebastian Film Festival called uh, Soller's Point that stars a young actor named McCall Lombardi that you're going to hear a lot about. He was in a uh, Andrea Arnold film years ago called American Honey that was terrific, and he's he's somebody you're he's a, he's fantastic. Jim Belushi's also in it. Marin Ireland, I mean, it's a really wonderful cast as well as some local people from the area that are in it. Um, the uh, thing we've always done uh, is that we, since we started the festival, is we have a silent film, typically a restored print of a silent film, with a new score that's going to, all the silent films, of course, had, because they were silent, had scores, sometimes just improvised, but often Charlie Chaplin wrote scores for his films, and many of them had composed scores. And, and, and they're, as they get restored, sometimes musicians are, are commissioned or just step forward on their own 
to compose a new score for a film. There are some very famous ones, Metropolis and um, uh, Strike, the great Eisenstein film. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we have one this year, which is a Japanese film uh, called uh, uh, Passage of Time, I think is the name. I'll look it up in just a minute. But, and the Alloy Orchestra has, has school. this was a film that everybody thought was lost because of World War II. Um, and it was pieces of it were found. It's been fully restored, and it, their their new score, which I, I of course haven't heard yet, but we'll, they will perform the score live with the film Sunday morning. And that's a if you've never seen that that it had a chance to see great musicians accompany um, a, a, a film as it's playing. It's a wonderful film going experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a. Uh, again, I'm thinking of so many films. There's a documentary that c- comes out of S- Sundance about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. um, called Will You Be My Neighbor? It's extraordinary, and the producer of that will be here to, to do Q&A. Um, his father, actually, who's the great cellist, Yo-Yo Ma, is in the film. He was a great friend of Fred Rogers, which I didn't even know until I saw the film. Um, there's an extraordinary documentary about Jamaica, called Black Mother, uh, done by a young filmmaker named Khalid Allah, who is, this is his second film. He works in a completely unusual documentary style, very beautiful, very powerful. And I I am, you know, his mom was a native of Jamaica. He had spent a good chunk of his life going back and forth to Jamaica. Um, I, I have never been to Jamaica, but you come out of this film uh, in a very unusual way, feeling like you really know something about the people of the island, its history, and and its spiritual and current influences. Um, that I I've never seen anybody really deliver a film quite like this. Um, mm. So those are just a, a few highlights. It's, I don't I don't know as you were scanning through the website, I don't know what caught your eye, but there I hope. Many things did, but those are <laughs> those are some some ones that I think are are real standouts. Yeah, it most definitely did. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and I'm talking with the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival, Jed Dietz. The Maryland Film Festival is taking place right now as we speak, so you definitely want to uh, check out the Maryland Film Festival this weekend uh, if you're in the Baltimore area. Yeah, Jed, um, I think. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you, um, because I did, I, there are a couple more films that I, I might ask you about, but one of the things that I noticed just in terms of I myself even running film festivals is that typically with film festivals, the artists, the filmmakers tell you like what's going on in society. They have a pulse of what's mm-hmm. going on. And, and so they capture that, whether it's through narrative filmmaking or documentaries, so what would you say were some of the themes that really have come through this year? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think one of the things that strikes me this year is given how difficult our normal political dialogue has become, you know, um, I think the filmmakers are really, I mean, they're storytellers, they're, you know, they're entertainers, they're, you know, they're artists, but I think they've really stepped up to 
explore to bring people closer together, I guess would be the way I don't, I don't want to sound too Pollyannish about this, but <laughs> I really, I would say that I would say that's the biggest theme that we've seen in all the submissions. And we look at, you know, you know, films we've never heard of come submitted to us. We get those from all over the world. We go out to festivals, you know, in Toronto and Sundance and South by Southwest and others that were scouting. Um, and I would say through all of that, since last year's festival, this, this, this effort to help people communicate. And it might be um, a, a, a film about two, you know, young women in their 20s sort of on their own in Dallas, Texas, a, a work of fiction that's sort of exploring sexuality and maybe some bad choices. and Or it might be about three kids in a movie called We the Animals whose parents clearly love the kids and I think love each other, but they're pretty dysfunctional mm. and struggling. Um, and these kids sort of take care of themselves and you see this sort of, and, and, and of course you're growing up too. So they've got their own exploration, but these brothers take, you know, really care for each other in, in is the best they can. And it's, you know, in all of those things, there's this real attempt, I think, by film artists, and, and obviously nobody organizes it. It's just sort of spontaneously happened to to bring to to talk about community and people trying to come together. Sometimes in the films over very wide expanses. There's a film in the festival, a documentary about called "This Is Home," about Syrian refugees coming to America and the, and the, the, the first eight months, which are under immigration law are very tense because you've got to get a lot accomplished to be able to potentially make the next step um, mm. into, into, into joining the American culture. And, and, and I think, but even the works that, that for sure, but even the works of fiction are really without being overtly political at all, they they really are about entertainment but but people trying to communicate. And I think filmmakers have, a of all the artists in the world, I think they have a very unusual place right now in our culture. And I, I, say, I mean our culture, not just the American culture, but I mean the world culture. And you can see it coming from all over the world, too. Um, and anyway, that, that, that's the one thing. I, I mean, that's the sort of general theme, because I don't think, you know, nobody starts a year by telling the film community what they should be doing. <laughs> right. It's, it, I mean, people are, you know, make movies about things that intrigue them. And some of them succeed. It's very hard to make a great movie. And some of them don't. But but I would say this 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 quest to communicate is a real theme. Yeah, you know, I think that's the interesting thing about uh, filmmakers and artists is, like you said, generally, whatever is kind of going on in the world, it, you don't have to say, hey, everybody make a film about X. And, you know, it, it that happens. It's just like it comes naturally because I feel like as storytellers, filmmakers want to tell the stories that are often uh, less told or that, that they see in their world. So um, I, I think that the Maryland Film Festival is a great uh, place, folks, for you to be able to see 
a variety of stories, um, international stories, to kind of see what's going on in the world and as well to be entertained, as Jed said. So, Jed, one important question is how can people get tickets and even find out some more information uh, about the, the festival and the films we've been talking about? Well, the, the best place to get information is our website because that's got all the film titles are there and, and you can, they're easy to find and then there's quite a bit of information and, and when, what theater they're going to be in and when they're playing, um, are, all that information is there. But you can also learn about these movies and see what, what really interests you. And that's mdfilmfest.com. And I would urge you, there's no obligation in this at all, um, is to just, when you first go in, make sure you put in your email and then you'll, you'll get notices all through the year. Uh, more intensely during the festival, of course, but about once or twice a week maximum when we, we try not to overwhelm people, but about things that are going on at the parkway and, you know, special events and when we have filmmakers coming into town, which we do year round or special panel discussions or, you know, we have had a filmmaker with a, a screen that we co-hosted with the Baltimore School for the Arts and the Saul's Vance Foundation last Friday. And it, it was a documentary about a, a group of, of, of Western farmers who had taken over a chunk of land in Oregon um, and are having this, it's an ongoing discussion with the, with the, both the state and the federal government about who owns the land and what rights the farmers have to graze their cattle on it and all that sort of stuff. And it's, you know, these things happen year round. And now since we opened the parkway last year and all that information will get to you if you, if you're getting emails from us, but our website's the best place and Awesome. It's picture. I come your host, Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the founding director of the Maryland film festival, which is taking place May 2nd through 6th. Jed Dietz. Jed, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about the festival and we look forward to seeing you out there. Wonderful, Kevin. Thanks so much. Let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. I appreciate everyone that listens to the Picture Lock podcast. And for you, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you're like me, then it's been a while since you've sat down and read a book, but it hasn't been long since you listened to a podcast. In fact, you're listening to one right now. Why? Because you're able to be entertained, informed, or educated on the go. That's kind of how I like my books as well. With Audible.com, I can listen to Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces or Robert McKee's story when I'm in the mood for learning about the craft or Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point when I'm trying to learn how to be a better influencer. The point is, a wealth of knowledge is at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com picturelock for a free 30-day trial. It's that easy. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash picturelock for a free 30-day trial to Audible. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. We are the Epic Film Guys, and we'd like just a moment of your time to talk about an extremely important event coming up this May. Last year, we hosted the live stream for The Cure, a 12-hour live stream fundraiser where we raised $2,500 for the Cancer Research Institute. 86 cents out of every dollar raised goes to research toward finding a cure. This year, we're aiming to smash that goal, and we need your help to do it. 
Join us from May 18th through the 20th for 30 hours of amazing live stream content from us and a whole host of amazing podcasters who will be joining us to try to reach $5,000. For more information, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started PictureLock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. Hey folks, interrupting the show real quick to say that I recorded my conversation with Lena in February this year, so when she makes a reference to a show coming out in March, that's why. Nonetheless, it's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Jeffrey Biles of Biles Movie Files. You're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and Lena Jaswal is a documentary filmmaker, award-winning photographer, and professor in the School of Communication at American University in Washington, D.C., where she's the director of the photography concentration. Her photography and film work often deals with intersections of being Indian and American. Her award-winning films have been screened in various film festivals around the country. Crossing Lines was picked up for national distribution by NETA and has been broadcast on over 100 PBS affiliates across the country. I'm so excited to have Lena on the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about her new feature doc, Mixed. Lena, welcome to Picture Lock. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Lena, first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? So um, I think I knew at a really early age, um, actually, it was a way um, both film and photography were a way for me to assimilate to America. And so my family immigrated here and really, uh, I was probably about third grade when I decided that my dreams of being a football player for the Cleveland Browns were probably not going to come true. And uh, my dad was an amateur photographer. And so he always had his camera with him. And I started to kind of want to, you know, I was really intrigued by the all the buttons on the camera and the idea of photographing. Um, and as I grew up, filmmaking and photographing, especially documentary work for me, was a way to kind of participate in something, but at the same time shield me a little bit because I could hide behind the camera. Um, so it was this way to, to be able to be a part of something, but yet still have some protection um, to, to as we learned, you know, sort of how to be American. So I picked up the camera pretty, pretty quickly um, in order to do that. And then filmmaking came quite naturally after that, because 
um, at some point I realized that, you know, I couldn't do all the things I wanted to do with just the still photograph. And so um, filmmaking came quite close to that. And um, I did an, uh, another major, I, my majors as an undergrad were in visual media and anthropology. And the anthropology part of me really loved, um, you know, being a part of and telling stories of others that um, might not have had a voice. So that's where I, I sort of fell in love with filmmaking. You know, uh, one point that you just kind of touched on and just in terms of like assimilating to different cultures, I, f I find it really interesting how, um, because I was even talking to a filmmaker who had said she was out in, I think it was Paris, you know, as a college student and she didn't know anyone, but she was able to go to the theater in order to kind of feel at home and, and watch stories of people that she could kind of relate to. Could you talk a little bit, just for briefly, before we kind of get into how you got in the industry, just in terms of, like you said, like the assimilation and how powerful films can be to help young people that might be trying to assimilate or, or find their way in a new culture? Because I think that's a really interesting concept. Sure. So, you know, I um, remember, and now I'm going to date myself, but I remember watching the original Degrassi Junior High on <laughs> PBS. The original. I know that it's been on for decades and decades, but the right. original when it came on PBS. And, you know, they had stories that were about so many different types of people, right? Um, and all the kids that were going through junior high into high school were were very unique and different to the stories that we were seeing on like, you know, whatever much CTV or, um, you know, whatever the comedies were there. And it was the first time that you could really see somebody that had a similar experience to you, um, maybe not the same story, but that to me was so powerful. I, I think especially as children, we're looking to see representation of ourselves. We want to know that our, you know, that our stories are validated by somebody else's maybe similar experience. And, um, you know, that that idea of assimilation. So when Margaret Cho's um, show All American, All American Girl came out, it was a comedy. My sisters and I watched it faithfully because we were like, even though she's a different type of Asian than um, South Asian, we still had enough of that cultural um, connection that we were like, oh my God, mom does that. That's so funny. Like, you know, and we really kind of found something there. So I, I think that um, the power of this media, you know, film, television is so, web stories. Any of that stuff is amazing for children, especially trying to seek themselves out in representation. And hopefully we're getting better about finding more and more diverse stories. So people who do come here um, and, and assimilate um, can find something that looks like them and feels like them. And then they don't feel so isolated or alone. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, especially for, for me personally with Black Panther coming out just sure. recently, like that was huge. And, and my brother and I, we were talking about it and um, we were just talking about how, like, for us, it was, like, really, like, literally shedding tears. But, mm -hmm. like, for my children, you know, who are three and five, like, this yeah. is, this will be normal for them, which is really Absolutely. awesome. Um, and I, I think you definitely are hitting the nail on the head there of how important diversity um, and representation 
uh, on the big screen is. So if you could, you know, take us back to, you know, you finally decided, yeah, I won't be on the Cleveland Browns. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I do love this thing called filmmaking and photography. So like, how did you transition kind of into the industry? Yeah. So, um, you know, I do not have a typical South Asian immigrant story that um, where parents sort of forced you at that time, at that time, um, um, where parents sort of were like, no, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, you know, all of those kinds of things. And although my dad was a doctor, he, I think, really appreciated the arts. And so anytime we would travel somewhere, the first spot we would go to would be an art museum. So he really encouraged that of all of his children. And um, and so I got my first, you know, I, I made my first pinhole camera when I was about third grade and fell in love with the dark room and, you know, knew that that was my trajectory. And when I turned 16, my parents bought me my first DSL or sorry, my first um, film SLR camera, which I still have today. And they just... Yeah, they just really were so incredibly encouraging. I said, I'm going to school to study photography. They said, that's great. Um, you know, let's do it. What Do whatever you want to do. Study what you want to study. And they appreciated the arts. So I didn't have to fight with them to say, like, this is a profession that I want to do. And, you know, then photography turned into filmmaking. And that was even something more tangible for them to understand. Because they, movies, everybody gets right (laughs) right right like um maybe photography and art maybe not so much but um (laughs) but movies people understand they know that visual language they know they can go see go see a story they understand storytelling in that level and so they were unbelievably supportive and so from because i had that support i never wavered since third grade i was like this is the career path that i want to do and so i got into um you know i went to school And um, I started actually teaching at American University before I got my master's. I was 22 years old and I taught my first class and my mentor said, I I want you to teach. So I but I need you to go get your master's. So I went to I went to Maryland Institute College of Art and got my master's. And that's when I actually decided that filmmaking was a route for me. So my thesis, even though my um, degrees in photography, my thesis was a documentary on uh, arranged marriages. And that's where I learned my chops. You know, I like I, I remember recording interviews with no audio, <laughs> no, no battery in the microphone. I was, you know, I was being self I was self-taught. So I was like, oh, that's where the battery goes. That's the direction the microphone needs to be in. So I made a lot of mistakes on my thesis film, um, which I'm grateful for, because without that, I don't think I would have um, really deviled, you know, dabbled into um, into filmmaking. And then once I got the bug of of making films, um, I partnered when I was teaching here at American, I partnered with the Goethe Institute and they wanted me to work with them to make a series of films on DC culture. And so I worked with students and we made like maybe six or seven films about DC culture, um, which was great. It was another way, you know, I was working with students, but I was also learning along the way. And, um, and then I just um, met, another film partner, another professor had just come to um, to the School of Communication for a year and she was teaching in the journalism division and she was also South Asian. And um, we met and I said, hey, there's there's an opportunity for a grant. Maybe we should get together and write 
um, a proposal to make to tell us to tell South Asian stories because this was you know maybe 12 years ago and it was right around um, some popular Indian cultural literature coming out like um, uh, the the namesake but the film hadn't come out and we we were like we need more stories we need more diverse stories about South Asian women. And so the two of us got together and we made um, the film Crossing Lines, which which is about her her life. Um, her name is Indra Samani, and she's now a professor at Howard University in broadcast journalism. But the two of us worked together and we sort of told this story about her life at the time. Her, her um, father had just uh, passed away and um, he was the purveyor of culture to her. So she was going to India for the first time with since his death as an unmarried journalist, you know, and um, and so we followed her journey there and and back. It's Picture Arc. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. We're talking with a person who understands mistakes are teachable moments. <laughs> it's documentary filmmaker and award-winning photographer, Lena Jaswell. Yeah, Lena, um, we can definitely get into uh, crossing lines. Um, I, I think you're totally right. The fact that, like, you know, you can just kind of learn on the go sometimes is what you have mm-hmm. to do. But at the same time, like, you'll never forget uh, <laughs> where to point the microphone in the future. Yeah. Like, I, there's been plenty of interviews, like, that I have totally lost because I forgot to hit record or... Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm like, never again will I yeah. check the batteries and make sure, yeah. you know, before shoot. So I totally, totally can relate to that. All right. So, um, you know, crossing lines. Can you... You know, I think one of the things with documentary film um, that, like, I'm always enamored by is when you're actually able to travel and go to a distant mm-hmm. land and, um, you know, you kind of are recording. And, and people don't, you know, was as you're watching a film, people don't necessarily think about what all goes into <laughs> that as a filmmaker. So sure. if you could kind of, like, talk about that journey in terms of, um, you know, making sure that you capture this story, but at the same time, even just filming and navigating, maybe if you need to get permits or, you yeah. know, making sure that you're able to get from point A to point B. Sure. The the logistics of, of um, uh, this is where being a woman can also help and hurt, you know, um, um, traveling into different countries and different cultures. Sometimes you can, you can play like sort of the naivety of like, Oh, Oh, I didn't know I needed to get a permit to do this. <laughs> oh, come on, just let me, you know, let me film. It's cool. Uh-huh. Um, but then also on the downside of that is like, oh, you clearly don't know. I've um, brought brought big, you know, at the time they were HD cameras, you know, not the the lightweight cameras, big heavy equipment with me, packed it into my camera bag. And um, of course I won't pack that. I won't ship that stuff. I have to have it with me on the airplane, right? You know, and um and getting stuck by security, getting stopped by customs and people saying, you, do you really know how to use this big camera? <laughs> and, oh, and wow. I'm like, um, yeah, I do. And I teach it as well. You know, yeah, so right. it's hard. To, it's hard to not have an attitude, but sometimes you have to check yourself or you know that you're just going to create more problems for yourself. Um, but that's, again, where the anthropology background, I think, is very helpful is to is to understand that just because things work a certain way where you live doesn't mean that they're going to work the same way in other cultures. And you have to sort of be respectful of those other cultures, even if you're inside or you're just like, are you serious? This is, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, 
those that can be challenging. And one thing that um, in my other films, I did another film, uh, um, which was part of a larger, I did the Ganges River section on a larger film about rivers around the world. And uh, my film, my part of the film was the Ganges River. And um, one part that I, that I, that really helped me with that was actually having um, a fixer in India to connect me to the people that I needed to speak to. So even though I can speak the language, um, it's still like I speak like a second grader. And so I was just like, it was really helpful to say, this is where I want to film and this is the stories that I'm looking for. Can you connect me with people? And that's how, um, you know, I've been able to be able to get some really insider perspectives um, rather than just kind of getting the same touristy things that maybe other people have been able to do. So mm -hmm. that's, I think, extremely helpful because also when we did, when we filmed Crossing Lines in India, we had an Indian producer uh, um, on site and she organized um, the crew for us and she organized the sound for us. And she, so we didn't actually have to, we, I could actually just produce and direct rather than like be in charge of doing running sound and, and, and shooting, um, which was really helpful. So having somebody who can co-partner with you internationally, I think is extremely helpful. And I, I would suggest for any of your listeners, like if they're planning on doing that, to look and see what film societies are in the areas that they're working in or they're going to work in and see if they can contact them. And, and you might just find a really great partnership through that, which is, um, which is what we found. Yeah, I think that's like great. Uh, information. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I guess one question, just to kind of backtrack, you know, you called um, a person a fixer. Is yeah. that just like a translator or is it like what? Could you just define what that is? Yeah. For the audience? So I think I think that means um, uh, and it's not actually a really great term to use, but I can't think of, uh, you know, a better a better term at this moment um, yeah. that that works. Um, but it's somebody who is on the ground and like, you know, basically doing kind of producing, they can translate for you in this situation for me, they, um, they were the ones who connected me to this one professor who knew everybody that I needed to talk to. And so once I met them, the, the professor took me everywhere I needed to go, but I needed somebody to connect me with that professor. And so this was the person who made the introductions to me for me. Um, in this case, my fixer also carried my equipment for me and um, and then also was like, you know, helped to point out some things that were really specific to that culture that was like, hey, you should make sure that you have this on film, that you're shooting this. This is like really important um, setting and scenery. Um, so like gave me some more insight to what I was filming other than the research that I had already done, because it's one thing to read about something and um you know, um, and watch even videos or documentaries or whatever about um, where what the topic you're going to be um, exploring. It's another thing to have somebody who's living that experience that knows the real inside stuff to help you. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the director of the photography concentration at the School of Communication at American University in Washington, D.C., Lena Jaswell. Lena, um, I think you're giving, like, just great value uh, in terms of documentary filmmakers that may, may be listening um, and can help out. So if we could, let's go ahead and transition into um, your new feature, Mixed. Could you talk a little bit about that and uh, what you're doing, what, what, where you're at in production? 
Sure. Um, so Mixed is a feature-length uh, documentary that I'm working with my partner, um, Professor Katie Borum chatu who's also a professor in the School of Communication. And we discovered I had done an installation piece called I'm Not the Nanny. So once my son was born, my husband is white, I am Indian. Um, once my son was born, you know, I would take him to the parks, especially in D.C., and I'd be chasing him around and playing with him. And people would come up to me and say, oh, you're so good with him. Who do you work for? And I was like, uh, American University. <laughs> but people, you know, just naturally assumed that I was the nanny and that my son wasn't mine because he has light skin. And um, but the opposite of that, when my husband would go to the park with with our son by himself, you know, people would be applauding him for play. Oh, what a great dad you are. And I was like, nope, you're just a dad. You're just doing your job. <laughs> right. You are a great dad, but you don't get kudos for taking your son to the park, you know. <laughs> um, but so that, that became this interesting piece about gender and race um, because people felt really um, eager to applaud him, my blonde husband. But to me, I was treated as the help and not a parent. And um, and so I had done this piece and Katie um, is in the uh, professor in the public communications program. And she's also the director of the Center for Media and Social Impact. And so she had heard about this piece and she saw me in the hall and we knew each other, but we didn't really know each other. And she shoved a picture of her kids to me in my face. And she's like, these are my kids. And I was like, they don't look like you. And she's like, they don't look like me, you know, and. We just started laughing and we um, we were like, let's have a conversation about this. And she's done doc she's done incredible documentary work um, on her own. And she had just finished this this piece for um, called Stand Up Planet about um, comedians and social change. And um, so we just started talking and we both had documentary backgrounds and history. And she said, you know, I've always wanted to make a film about this. And I said, I'm probably ready to do to, you know, this is consuming me right now because a lot of the work that I do, whether it's filmmaking or, uh, or photography, um, always surrounds issues of identity. And it's probably like my form of therapy. It's like I work out whatever issues I'm having at that time through whatever artistic practice. Mm -hmm. And yeah. because I was a mom, I was like, OK, like how different is it going to be for me to raise a kid? where nobody in our family shares the same race and what does that mean and we know that race is a social construct and we and even south asians are technically um, classified as caucasians i know all of those things but the world doesn't see me as a, caucas a caucasian right. and the world sees race so like even though we know all of these things are you know made up but um but so we just started to talk about it and we were like, you know, she would tell me she's um, she's white and her husband is um, uh, is black. And she would tell me about the conversations that she and he had. And I would tell her about this, the situations that my husband and I were were dealing with. And we just decided to get together and start a film. And for the first year, we were doing it pretty clinically. Like we were like, you know, setting up the camera, interviewing somebody. We would be off camera. Um, talking to the experts, you know, and um, probably about six months, eight months into it, everybody kept on telling us, like, why are you making this film? And we're like, well, because our kids are mixed. And they're like, then you need to be in it. And we were like, no, we really don't need to be in it. And they were like, you need to be in it. You need to give some authority to the reason why you're making this film about mixed race people when neither of you are mixed race. And mm. so we thought about it. And we were like, you know, we're right. We're right. They're right. 
And so we um, we decided then um, we sort of shifted the film to being about two moms of different races going across America in a journey of what it means to be to find out what it means to be mixed race and also like how we can be better prepared as parents um, to parent mixed race children. And we are probably about 95 percent done shooting. And um, we're getting close to getting our editing going. So we're hoping that this film will be done by the fall and then we can start, you know, taking it on tour and um, having it screened in as many places as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it sounds great. And I love the fact that you all took the advice of people and decided to kind of switch up how you were doing it, because I think. Um, it gives it, just from hearing what you said, I mean, a more intimate um, look at the the situation. But not only that, coming from moms, you know, like, you know, as a, as a parent myself, you, you want to fight for your kids and you want to make sure that your kids are able to grow up, especially free from the confines of race and racism. Mm -hmm. But you know that's not going to happen, but still. Nope. So it's like, how do we prepare our kids um, you know, for dealing with that and for those questions that, like, we've thought about since they were, you know, a day old. Like, absolutely. what, what are you going to do when your son says, hey, how come I'm not, you know, white or, you know, fully, yeah. you know, all these different questions. So, I, I mean, I'm sure that this documentary will be helpful to um, so many people. And again, as we, we were talking about earlier, it's just that representation of knowing mm -hmm. like I exist I'm not alone and this is how other people are dealing with these different issues absolutely because um, up until just maybe the last year or two we have not seen um, portrayals of mixed race kids I mean we see interracial marriages like there's like um, modern family and um, and other places but um, really we have not seen mixed race kids having anything to kind of look up to now there's a tv show coming on in march um where they're going to feature a mixed race family and kids so that's going to be exciting to see um but it's just now starting to get into the zeitgeist and you know i remember my my son's name is dev and i remember watching um clone wars the cartoon star wars the clone wars cartoon mm -hmm. and one of the characters name was dev and he heard his name being said on a cartoon, he like immediately like be started beaming, right? And <laughs> right. his name is not a name that people often hear. I mean, it's a very popular name in India, but it's not a, a popular name here. And so when he heard his name, the two of us just looked at each other in like astonishment. And we were just like, that's <laughs> so cool. Like they said your name. And, you know, uh, and I never had that. Like I could never find my pencil. Like, so <laughs> you know, the name, my name on a pencil. Right. So... Um, so representation in any form is so important. And even if it's not your exact story, it's so great to see other stories that are similar to yours that, you know, that that come out. And we're hoping that, you know, mixed won't be the experience for everybody. Um, but it, it, it hopes to just to make sure that the idea of being able to be seen and to be to think about this population in a, in a different way um, you know, then other the sort of the fetishizing that gets told of like, oh, mixed race babies are the cutest or, 
oh, they're so lucky they're going to end racism. Like mixed race babies have been, and mixed race people have been around for <laughs> since time, and we still have racism. So they're not they're not <laughs> responsible for ending racism. You know, right? But, yeah. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with a woman who couldn't find her name on a Coca-Cola bottle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's documentary filmmaker and award-winning photographer Lena Jaswell. Uh, Lena, it's been really great talking with you. Um, we got to kind of wrap things up here, but sure. if you could let people know how they could find your work, find you on social media, etc. Sure. So I am, I'll give you all the tags. You can find mixed, um, uh, the documentary mixeddocumentary.com. And we also have a Facebook group, Mixed Documentary. So please add yourself to that. Um, me, myself, I'm on Facebook as Lena Jaswall. I'm on Instagram as Lena Jaswall one only because I think I already signed up for Lena Jaswell and I forgot my password. So, <laughs> for, so add that one on there and you can follow me on Instagram. And um, and I have a website, lenajaswell.com. And crossinglinesthefilm.com as well. Awesome. Lena Jaswell, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks so much, Kevin, for having me. Really um, had a great time. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Jed Dietz, Lena Jaswell, and Diablo Cody for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on back episodes and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say Alexa, play Picture Lock on TuneIn, and I'll come right up. It's how I listen to my show every week. It's so much fun just to say Alexa, play Picture Lock and tune in. And then she pulls it up and it's, ah, oh man, I just feel like I'm somebody. I don't, I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. I appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Be sure to follow me on the Stardust app for my quick movie, TV, and trailer reviews. Stardust is where true film and TV fans share three to 30 second video reactions to movie shows and trailers. I'm up on the app right now, and it's really been fun doing it just because I can quickly give my thoughts. So if you want to hear my thoughts on things uh, and a little more frequently, make sure you check out the Stardust app and follow me at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe to it to get some incredible value and see interviews with filmmakers and the like. I finally got the home studio set up and I'm cranking out reviews. I've got some 2018 Tribeca reviews up already. My review of Avengers Infinity War. Um, so I'm just going to keep pushing out content and I definitely want you to be a part of that. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out a form on the website. Did this episode resonate with you? What's your favorite Picture Lock episode so far this year? Did you get to check out the Maryland Film Festival? These are the questions that I need answers to. Send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com. All music is done by Mike S. The Prophet 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.